Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they're not experts on. There's a lot of banter. There's a lot of exploration of uh, intellectual topics that we think we know a lot about. Whether we do or not, it's up to you. It's up to you guys to decide. Tell us in the comments. Jordan has a very stoic face right now. Yeah, I'm just thinking about what a great way to start this podcast. Talk about deflection signals. Comedians talk about things they're definitely not experts on. Well, immediately- Because I like talking about things that I'm not experts on, yeah, but you know? And like, then, uh, I don't want to fucking study everything for 10 years. I don't have the lifespan. My thinking with that opening tagline was, uh, well, you can't- Don't come at us if we get something wrong, man. Mm-hmm. It's a safety- It's a shield. <laughs> Look, I'm. we're saying it at the start of the podcast. We're not experts. If you choose to take our uh, opinion as uh, one of expertise, it's on you. You've been warned. You've been forewarned. And uh, the audience, to their credit, pretty much heeds that warning. Yeah. I like that. I like them paying us out for being stupid, but not getting invested in the fact that we're stupid. But then still listening to the duration of the podcast. Very strange, I've got to say. You think we're stupid and you listen to it, so that's on you. (laughs) God. Yeah, look, honestly, though... uh, in terms of all of the audiences that we have accrued collectively throughout our careers, I like this one the most. Ooh, that's I a big really call. I really do. That's a big call, but it's a great audience. Yeah, they are. They're very thoughtful. Every time I think I've, I've said something poor, poorly or, or, or uh, articulated it in a, in a terrible way on the podcast, I get numerous messages complimenting me on that podcast. So thanks for the confidence boost. They are widely nice, aren't they? (laughs) It's just a great... It's the same with the Jordan Shanks channel. It's nice to be amidst people that are interested in improving themselves. How does this podcast audience differentiate to your other podcast audience? Uh, It's just politics, so it's competitive as shit. And Mm. now I'm injecting more history into it, which is just politics that no longer matters. But people (laughs) are still as invested. (laughs) Politics that is no longer relevant but should matter. Yeah, and see, to that, there'll be a bunch of history buffs saying, if you don't know, the policy that we based a thousand years ago is what we based policy on today, so it clearly does. And yeah, you're right, but I'm trying to say something glib here, all right? I've, I think that's the whole thing is that audience is just get the gloves out. Pretty much every episode is me or Ali trying to defend an opinion that we strongly believe, but know that the majority of people don't believe. So okay. obviously it's going to be a lot harder than here. We were just like, read any good books this week? No. You know what this is? It's just a two person book club. Yeah, slash Pretty banter much. session. Sla- but that's part of a book club. Yeah. It's just it's not usually recorded except on the ABC. There's a modern book club. Yeah, modern. It's a toxic book club. <laughs> toxic book club. That's the, we, we need to retitle this. Toxic book club. <sighs> Where we never, well, very, very, very rarely discuss fiction. And the older that I'm getting, the more I'm regretting that. Really? But I'm still not going to change. Yeah, because you want to talk about story arcs, don't you? Hey, yeah, actually, I want to talk about the basis of fiction. Well, how about let's get it, let's do a question first, and then 
And keep all of you waiting. Fine. What a teaser. All right, this is a good this is a question that has come from Jamie. And Jamie says, What would your advice be for someone with real limitations to get ahead in life? Okay, context. I have a neurological and an intellectual disability. I'm currently twenty nine and work part time at retail West Farmers. I used to think that I was okay with just surviving and at least I had a job and lived in a country with welfare compared to other people in the same situation. But after watching Jordan Shanks and this podcast, I realized that I want more and I'm not okay with it. We're instilling greed into people. I love it. <laughs> ambition, not greed. It's ambition. Uh, I and have, envy. <laughs> <laughs> I have no family support as both my parents died before I was 20. Damn. Fuck, that is rough. And there isn't any other family. Alrighty. Um... You know what I think is one of the main things to anybody that gets a condition, uh, labelled with a condition, and I think that this is just my advice in general, which is something that the God Almighty Spanion is constantly talking about, but in his own little circle, Yeah. which is don't let somebody label you. Yeah. You might have an intellectual disability, that's true, but if you start playing into the identity of having an intellectual disability, you have handicapped yourself at that point because it might be true, you might have a neurological deficiency that other people don't have, but you don't actually know how severe that is. And you are, as in like doctors will say, you have this limit on yourself. But there is also a lot of examples of people in, I don't know, for instance, have uh, had a car crash and they say that your brain's never going to function correctly again. They're right to a degree, but they're saying that, you know, you will have half brain capacity, but they get it back to 95. Mm. And it's because they didn't put the limitation on themselves and so they didn't start behaving in that way. Mm. It's a lot of it is subconscious. You may be a victim, don't internalise your victimhood. Because when people say don't be a victim, don't be a victim, people aren't saying there aren't legitimate victims out there and there aren't people who clearly have a harder path in life. Well, it's a harder path in life, but... uh, hindrances and obstacles that other people may not face. Like this guy, like, yeah, yes, like if, if what you're you, saying is true, that's you a, were dealt a bad hand in life. Yeah. That's true. That No one can take that away from you. Yes, but then do you, I suppose, do you then fall in love with that suffering? Exactly. Or do you say what, do you fall in love with the, the victim from that suffering or the person you could become in spite of that suffering? Because I swear to God, I was not given the same hand that you were dealt, but I was dealt a much worse hand than most of the people that went to my high school. And I'm doing better than all of them now, much better than all of them. But the thing is that I could have just sat there and thought, yeah, no, I grew up in a working class background. I'm going to become a brickie. That's what's expected of me. That's literally what my parents told me, right? That was the expectation. And I think it's the same thing with you. There is now an expectation on you both societally and for yourself, but not actually yourself because you've actually written in this that I want more and I'm not satisfied with this. And that's good. That's the first step. It's the first step, just saying this is not good enough. And the thing is that if you are saying this is not good enough and I can't do anything about it, that's a recipe for suffering in life. (laughs) But if you say this isn't good enough and I can improve my circumstances... You are going to go a lot further. Tony Robbins and always uses the story of W. Mitchell, but go on. Yeah, and you don't don't want to be comparing yourself to others. Compare 
It's a classic cliche, but with a lot of this self-help advice, sometimes you just need to be reminded of the cliches, which is that yeah. don't compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Yeah. Don't 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 even compare yourself to us. Um, don't even compare yourself to people who have similar, who were also neurodivergent in the way you are. Compare yourself to who you were one year ago. You're, you're 29. All right. When you're 30, compare yourself to where you are now at 29. Have you improved or have you learned? And if the answer you know is what? yes, you're doing well. Yeah. I think that it's not just you, but everyone should be thinking about this. <laughs> How self-indulgent is this? Where were you when you first started listening to the Neil and Jordan podcast? Oh, my God. <laughs> but I, I truly do think that if you are listening to this or Jordan Shanks, that resonates with a certain type of person. You're one of those people because you're sitting there and saying, this is not good enough. I'm dissatisfied with where I am. But a lot of people aren't. A really good example of that is, I'm not going to say who, but there is a certain group of people that I know. The only way that you can describe their life is a rut. They like the fact that they have a not particularly well-earning career. They like the fact that they have a mortgage up to their eyeballs in a house in an area that is not great. It's not terrible, but it's not great. They like having that sort of lower middle class life. They're comfortable with that. But the thing is, if you're listening Mm. to this podcast, are you comfortable with your right? And if the question is, no, I've just got to ask that as well. Where were you at the beginning of listening to this? And and I'll extend it. It's not just us. It's Anyone who is interested in self-help, when you started listening to people that were saying things just like Neil said then of, hey, instead of comparing yourself to others and getting envious, compare yourself to where you were a year ago. When you started listening to messages like that, did you start automatically improving? Because it's new information that is swelling around in your head that is not the messages that you grew up with. Maybe some of the people did have parents that sure. were, you know, personal life coaches or whatever, but the vast majority of you weren't. And I think that the fact that you are even listening to this content puts you at a marked advantage to a lot of other people. So to you, for instance, even if you do have a neurological disease, I don't know how bad it is, but I can guarantee you this, somebody who is hyper-intelligent that doesn't listen to this kind of content will do worse in life than you. They definitely will. There is the smartest man on earth. I don't know if he is anymore. He might be dead. But there was a point where the smartest man on earth, genius in maths, had an okay house in the woods. Well, you know, but look, 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 I don't know if if material worth should be the exact measure of how we we perceive ourselves. But if you are, if you are that intelligent. Yeah. You could be allotting a point of your intelligence to just being like, uh, okay, I want to become extremely wealthy. And if you were truly intelligent and empathetic, you would then be tithing a lot of that to charities. You know, but this guy could barely get by by himself. That is not what you would expect from the smartest person. In fact, the average is that uh, people of average intelligence are the most amount of millionaires. And yes, you don't really measure that to being ultimate success. But it's just kind of a measure in that if you are intelligent, why wouldn't you set up a business? What What is stopping you from doing that? And I would say that it is just a psychological barrier, which is well, that like no matter how intelligent you are, everyone has barriers. All right. Can I actually pull you up on this, though? Because you, you, you're always talking about how the love of money is the root of all evil. And this seems to be contradicting that to a certain degree because where I would disagree with you is 
say that guy who may live in the woods and be the smartest person alive, I don't know what his goals may be. It could be, I want to figure out this impossible equation that no human has ever figured out before and I need to get away from society and just live out in the woods in a simple cabin and live a simple life so I can focus fully on this equation. Now, he's dedicating his life to that. He's still got a purpose. He's got meaning. He's hopefully still able to improve on his position in figuring out that equation each day. But I don't know if material wealth and you know starting a business and things like that are always... Look, in many cases it is, but I don't know if that's always the metric we should be measuring ourselves by. No, you shouldn't be measuring yourself exclusively by that because I also think it depends what your business is and what the goal of the business is. But I just see business now as a method of serving the community in general. And I do see that... Okay. There's two kinds of ways to get wealthy. There's theft and then there's creation of a service that people want, right? And then you become wealthy as a result of that. But yes, okay, let's just extend that out. If your scenario is correct, yes, but don't you think he would be better at solving that mathematical equation if he was hanging around a bunch of other eggheads that were also geniuses to bounce the ideas off of? But clearly, because he's so hyper-intelligent, this is a thing that people that are hyper-intelligent always complain about, they can't relate to the average person. Because the average person is so much dumber than they are and yeah. they're just like so far ahead that they're just like, are you still at this point? Well, I'm sure it'll be like us hanging out with a bunch of four-year-olds. Yeah, if it's If we're talking boring. about that scale of intelligence Don't you think? Yeah. You, yeah, you, for an hour be- you, can, you can entertain <laughs> yourself and then after a while, well, well, okay, I'm going to talk about something a bit different than, I don't know, Peppa Pig. What yeah. are they talking about? I know. <laughs> and also, I don't want to watch the same episode of Peppa Pig over and over again. I've recognised it's the same episode, yeah. but kids don't. <laughs> yeah, kids want to watch the same episode three times okay. a day. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, well, coming back to to Jamie. Um, but yeah, you're right. That's so- definitely true. Well, I shouldn't. Yeah. You shouldn't just make that your only metric. But I'm saying that, you know, my, my my main point of constantly saying that if you're obsessed with money, it's just this: if money is your goal, that's bad. But if money is a byproduct of you serving the community, I think that that's a pretty cool metric of how much you are actually serving the community. Sure. Okay, that's a different way. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's just like it's not this thing of just like exactly that. The love of of money is the root of all There's a lot of rich people that probably you could argue are not serving the community though. But they are serving mammon, aren't they? They they are purely in their business to create money. That's it. Their their entire goal is... Well, they could have a perverse view of the world and think that they are uh, offering a uh, effective service to the world. I'm sure that they must rationalise it in their mind that that's yeah. how they look. Yeah, real estate agents would be like, "I just help a buyer and a seller get together," you know, like I just cut out all of the awkward interactions. Mm-hmm. But come on, you're just skimming us both, aren't you? Um, look, we, humans, we we have a natural inc- inclination towards negative bias here so it's easy to look at the people who have had it easier than you and and look someone like this yeah again we come back to the fact that look I, <laughs> most of the people listening to this podcast have probably had it easier than him but that's where you do not it's 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 fruitless to compare yourself to other people and that's the big the big reason we compare us we we can we compare the person we are today to who we were yesterday yes and if you stop doing that, you will go ahead of the people that have had it easier than you. 
Because a lot of people do spend a lot of their life comparing and pinging the environment around them of just yeah. being like, should I be behaving in this scenario? But if your uh-huh. only person that you're accountable to is yourself, god damn, that is a liberating mindset. Yeah, man. Um, it's as simple as if you go through some sort of a traumatic injury and can't walk for a year and you do one step and the next month you do two steps. And yeah, everyone else is running marathons, but you've improved two hundred percent from what you were doing last mm. month, and that's what you should be measuring it yes against. But if you keep doing that, there will become a point where you are running the marathon better than most of the people that are running the marathon. Yeah. If you keep up that progress, there, there may be. But even if there isn't, as long as you're still improving on who you were, yes, I think that's the main thing. That's definitely the main thing, and it is the thing of. The person that is walking two steps is better off than the person that is still in bed saying, I have this uh, ailment to my spine. I can't move. Yeah. And everything can be an advantage in some sphere of life. So look, man, I mean, there can be a, there can be a way that you could set up a, a charity for uh, people who have your specific disability. And that's something you'd have an advantage in compared to us. Because we mm, wouldn't know, we wouldn't have that. Yeah, you'd know, you'd have the knowledge of that far more than the average person. So there are things you can do that, even whatever circumstances you may have, there's always a way to interpret it. In I suppose a glass half full versus a glass half empty way. These are all really simple adages, but this is as I keep reading more and more self help. It's the simple rules that are the most important, mm. but also the hardest to continue to live by. You know what else as well? I don't know the great degree of your impairment, but I do know this. My mum used to teach a lot of people with disabilities and the ones with mental disabilities, usually, I'd say 99% of the time, better people than the vast majority of people that had a normal mind. They were kind of just nicer You know, they didn't have this pretension and all of these perceived ideas of who you were before they met you. Mm. They kind of just judge you on who you were because their mind didn't work to the same level of just being like, well, I've had all these experiences before, so you must be like that. That's not how their brain worked. Mm. So even when you do have a disadvantage in life, you can definitely see it as an advantage. There would be certain circumstances where everything, for instance, the classic is just if you're blind. Usually if you're blind, you have much better hearing and much better taste and much better touch than the average person. There you go. So it's like all of these impairments sort of do, especially if you start, you like Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about this, using his weakness as his biggest strength, which was that he had a stupid accent. That's what made him the most successful Hollywood actor of all time. Yeah, there you it go. was the fact that his voice was funny. <laughs> it's a funny voice. <laughs> it's a trait. Everything he says becomes it's, a trademark. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of it is, it's, it's honestly 80% mindset. Mm. Um, mm. So really, the things that you are pointing out now and mm. saying that they're your weaknesses, I would write down how they are a strength to you that are not to others. Because even the things that you've written there, I swear to God, what you have written there kind of just shows that you're a bit, you're more open and honest than the average person. 
that's something that's a very good trait when interacting with other human beings. Uh-huh. If there's no pretension there, if there's nothing that people are thinking, this guy's trying to hide something from me, that's an advantage in life. There you go. I think that's a, that's a brilliant exercise. <laughs> Write some of those things down. Your weaknesses and how they could be strengths. Give yourself a plan. Of course. You've got to give yourself a plan. Continually build on that every day. Take baby steps at first. And like with any you know journey towards a goal, there's going to be peaks and troughs. There's going to be peaks and troughs. And you've got to, you've got to push through those troughs. Mm. They're going to be hard. You just push through them. Yeah. It's also like, as you were saying, a lot of this self-help stuff is simple. It's, it all is at the end of the day. It's... It's um it it I can see why so many people dismiss it because it's incredibly cliche and and there are a lot of sharks and people who weaponize it um and take advantage of people who are deeply insecure. Hmm. But uh these the 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 primary you know significant and very simple adages that you see across many self-help books Coming back to what we talked about in our last podcast, a lot of these books articulate almost the same ideas, but the way they're presented just appeals to different demographics. Mm, mm. Yet you come back to, uh, you need to take a shot every time we mention this guy, but the way Jordan Peterson articulates his self-help, it just exposed it to an audience that otherwise wouldn't have listened to Tony Robbins because they would have thought, oh, this is some pop psychologist that Neat. is an intellectual. But then Mark Manson, the way he does it, it, it appeals to... You know, 25 to 35-year-old white women. Mm. And really, yeah, you're right. All of the, it's it's a different way of expressing it. Same universal truths. Yes. That have really been around since the beginning of society because that's just how they function. Brian Tracy was also talking about somebody that was mentally disabled that came up to him and said, Mr. Tracy, do you think I'm going to be successful in life? And he said, if you follow these principles, yes. He came back in five years, married, lived in a great house, was running his own business. The guy had a, like a mental impairment that was obvious when you saw him, how he moved, how he spoke, mm. doing great in life. It's just these principles don't care about your intelligence. They just care about if you practice them, which most people don't. So the fact that you're even asking that question, as I'm always saying to people, if you are watching this content, you're already ahead of 95% of people. The other point that I always say is people that say that self-help is a con are the people that need self-help and people that say that self-help works are the people that don't need self-help. Yeah, there you go. And affirmations, that's always my big one. <laughs> Do your daily affirmations. All righty. Hopefully, um, hopefully you enjoyed that advice, Jamie. Uh, anyone else wants to ask a question, neilcohacker.com slash podcast. All revenue from the questions, all of it goes straight to the Life You Can Save charity. So there you go, Jamie. You're right. helping kids in Africa not get malaria. This is something That's that he's good. doing, there yeah. Um, but, John, you want to talk about story arcs? Yeah. This is an interesting one. Well... Even more basic than that, it's just I've been listening a lot to this guy, um, Donald Miller, and hmm. what's his background? I haven't heard of him. I don't know, but he just looks like a less buff Brad Pitt. <laughs> Brad Pitt is not. Brad, have you been to Western Sydney? Brad Pitt buff? Are you fucking joking, man? <laughs> that guy's a skinny cunt. 
Well, well because he's buff. not Ronnie Bick. He's not. I wouldn't call him buff. Oh, yeah. I call him athlete. I call him okay, yeah. ripped. He's not ripped. Let's yeah, put it yeah, that way. Okay. He's got a bit of a pot belly. Yeah. He's just a slightly less handsome Brad Pitt, which is not an indictment on him because Brad Pitt is an eleven. It, you know, he's a ten. Yeah. That's Sorry. Good. Sorry, girls. Yeah. <laughs> he's still killing it in the looks department. Mm-hmm. He's got some very interesting ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been listening to him a lot. And is he self help person? Yeah, he's another self help guy. Uh-huh. And, uh, one of the things that he's talking about a lot is story. I really need to read his book on story. I've just been listening to a lot of interviews. And it's just one of those ways of looking at the world that I really like, in that I'm always saying, I hate labels. And then I'm constantly trying to label people psychologically. But. <laughs> We, we we all do that. Let's be honest. Yeah. I think it's just a natural part of the human condition. We 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 like to compartmentalize and label people into groups and and tribes and stops thought. Like makes it, it just makes for us. it makes it easy. Okay, let me be more intelligent in my response. Then I think that political labels are counterproductive. I think that psychological labels actually are pretty productive. Yeah. What's an example? Well, why him? Why her? Yeah, sure. You know, it's not... Obviously, you can't categorize everyone into four groups. There's going to be some overlap. But in general, it helps you understand a person a lot better. With something like political labels, though, when you have uh, an assortment of politicians under the umbrella of a particular party, there's obviously an overarching ideology that comes with that. So is it not fair to just, you know, group them all under the same label? Okay, Political party, yes. Political ideology, no. Yeah, okay. I really okay. hate anything that's like, you know, conservative, socialist. I think those are stupid. Obviously, if someone is a Democrat, they're a Democrat. Sure. And so everything that they are currently saying falls under the umbrella of Democrat. Mm-hmm. I think that anything that isn't the official yep. name of a party is extremely damaging. But there are, uh, for each of those ideologies, there's a set, you know, there's a, usually a main text and there are, there's an assortment of ideas that come with that. So is it not an easy way to, not even an easy, just, a, just an apt way to describe certain people who conform to those ideas? Well, look, let's just use Bernie Sanders as an example, right? Mary... <laughs> Everyone calls him everything from communist to socialist. He says, I'm a democratic socialist. This democratic socialist, if he was in uh, the Netherlands, would be in the most far-right party in the Netherlands. So it really depends where you are in the world. So what's the point of that label? Like, in the Netherlands, he would be in one nation. Okay, well, I, I guess left and right are, uh, uh, they are ever-changing. That's a sort of ever-changing paradigm based on, you know, whatever the political compass is off the day or of the, que- of the country. So 50% of the population will always lie on, I suppose, on the left, however they define that in a given um, environment, and 50% will always lie on... The right, if you want to define it that way, but to just say someone is left, like if you, in nineteen hundred, oh, that person's left wing. That's incredibly different to what someone today who's labelled as left wing 
would be. Maybe. But the other thing is everybody would be having different definitions of what is left and right. So, for yes. instance, Gavin McInnes says that Fox News is left wing. But is he wrong? That's his interpretation yeah, yeah, of sure. the world. Okay, they're, they're, they're definitely left and right as labels are very nebulous and personal. However, things like, uh, you know, communist, there's a, there's a very, there's obviously quite a clear-cut objective um, ideology that comes with that. And that's very different to saying someone is on the left. That can be very relative. But the thing is that even when you get to that, Marx, Lenin, Trotsky, Stalin all had extremely different ideas of what communism was. The Australian okay, Communist yeah. Party had very different ideas of how it was going to go about. Like they, these are just, I, I really think that these pretty much, and this is the point of my entire stand-up sure. show really, is that these labels are used in the propaganda model to make it easier to split up people into identities and the point of that is so that you can start selling things to them fuck that was scary um in a way that speaks to their identity personally so and the thing is you know some people for instance some people for instance find the phrase progressive to be a virtuous thing. Other people don't think that it's a virtuous thing. Then you go into those progressive circles and then it's just like you go into any Reddit forum, it'll be filled with people saying, you're not a real progressive. What you are is an ANCAP. You're an, anachron- you're an anarchic socialist, something like that, right? Like it just keeps getting more <laughs> and list. more stupid. <laughs> the list. <laughs> the Reddit list. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they have. Yeah, yeah. People will weaponize those terms either to smear uh, their opponents or group themselves into a into a tribe. For group a, themselves into a tribe, but every single member of that tribe would have a different idea of what that means. So I'm always just saying uh-huh. this: when it comes to politics, you talk about the specific issue. When it talks about when when you're talking about culture i think you can kind of get away with saying the cultural left and the cultural right because really most of the time when people are talking about politics they're not talking about roads they're not talking about <laughs> taxes yeah 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 because i use those terms in my videos and when i'm expressing things but uh i generally will well i'm actually always generally will well because when it comes to I'll culture use it for culture yeah yeah but when it comes to culture culture starts becoming a much more nebulous idea yeah. than this specific bridge costs this much money. Why is it costing this much money? Sure. That's not nebulous, but that is politics. That's truly what I think politics is mm. at its core. And most people think that it's a cultural argument about values. I mean, there is that underlying foundation to a, if you have an overarching political ideology, it can be grounded in certain foundational concepts, can't it? But this is the thing. The, the true intellectuals of Australian politics, I think, were John Hewson and Paul Keating, and both of them would always describe themselves as being ideologically agnostic in that mm. they don't care where the idea comes from. If they think it works, they'll push for it. Sure. Yeah, I suppose if you're, if you're saying, I'm, I, I'm generally on the right on most issues you're dismissing that there could be any sector where the government could actually 
provide a better service or whether it's, you know, whether it's a more economically efficient service, an overall better service um, determined but, by how we measure that. But see, you're saying that that's right. But I imagine that there would be a bunch of people in the US that would say, I'm on the right on most issues. Do you have a Medicare card? Yes. You know, there'd be a bunch of old people that would be saying, I am on the right. Yeah. Because They're really just talking about culture. Yeah. Because, like, they'd be taking advantage of a bunch of government programs. Yeah, I know. And I think most people, even young people, will say things like that. And then and then a different political figure can come in and just transform what it even means to be right or left. So yeah. I agree with you. You know what? But that's what? That's exactly what Trump did. Yeah, I know. He completely changed the, you know, there's nothing. It doesn't mean what it used to mean. It was absolutely no ideological consistency with, you know, the, the right. It really was just a sentiment. It was a nationalistic sentiment um, and a reactionary sentiment. Yeah, but, because in the Bush era, what did right wing mean? Actually, just meant everything. invading, yeah, and invading a bunch of countries, privatizing and invading a bunch of shit. Yeah, whereas in didn't in, mean that in the Trump era. No, kind of just Trump meant era. like keep out immigrants, and we're not going overseas anymore. Yeah, just like, keep he out immigrants, infra- keep in jobs. He wanted an infrastructure bill, but the, the but the Republican Party didn't vote for it. Yeah, he wanted a big. That's a, that's as left as you can get mm. if we're if we're talking in that paradigm. But see, this is the whole thing. If you go back to the fifties. That was just mainstream politics. Right. There would only be really fringe characters that would be saying things like the government shouldn't be, you know, stimulating the economy with massive public infrastructure projects. Mm. Both Republicans and Democrats would be like, yeah, obviously. But then I, but, but then, if you go back to, the, like, the 1850s, would that have... St- no. You know, it's always changing, right? Yeah, it's always changing. Yeah. So, I just really think that these are just very silly terms as a result of that. You're right, actually. You've got to get really... out of that habit. It's, so, it's such a... You're just so used to saying, oh, he's a conservative. Oh, he's on the left. Oh, he... It's and they brand habit. themselves as such. And the reason that they brand themselves as such is because they're trying to hit an audience. The reason that I'm always trying to get out this idea... because Look, and again, with me, for instance... You go to a certain sect of morons online and they'll just be like, he's alt-right. You go to a certain sect of morons and they'll be like, he's a socialist. <laughs> you can't both be right, can yeah, you? Yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? But that's everyone. It's not just me. They'll say exactly the same thing about Bill O'Reilly. They'll say exactly the same thing about Rachel Maddow. It- yeah, it's just very relative to the person who's who's labeling that other person. Yeah. If they, are, if they perceive them to be left of them or right of them, they'll say that. Yeah. And if they themselves personally see right wing as being an insult or a virtue, yeah, and anyone that so... they don't like as left wing oh, or anyone God. they don't like as right wing, incredibly subjective, isn't it? So subjective. Yeah. So that's my little uh, phrase about why you shouldn't be doing it when it comes to politics, and I think that that is a psychological tool in itself. Mm. But that is a psychological tool designed to manipulate you. Whereas I think that when it comes to coming up with these little psychological labels, it kind of just gives you a framework to understand people a little bit better. And again, it's not going to be exactly right. There is a lot of experiments of Buddhist monks being the best at reading people out of everyone. Mm. Even, you know, people that work at Scotland Yard, for instance, cannot tell what someone is thinking when their entire job is to try and figure out if you can think it's either they're better than the average person, but a Buddhist monk is better. It's probably the best way to go about it. I don't have the patience to go and live in a fucking temple in northern India for 30 years. So I'm just going with the labels. But 
<laughs> so why do you want to you want to read people do you well it's not ex- it's just a way of navigating through life that i think is very interesting which is this guy was talking about the different the four different archetype characters that are in every narrative yep i don't even know if he's just talking about western this could be everything it just probably is just you go to indian india you go to japan it is the same thing because I was just watching a Ghibli film the other day. It was the first time I've ever watched it like this. But there is always a villain. Mm. There's always a hero. Mm -hmm. There's always a victim. And there's always a guide. So if you go to Lord of the Rings, the hero is Frodo. Mm -hmm. The guide is Gandalf. The uh, villain is Sauron. And the victim... Fuck, it's been a while since I've seen it. The victim, I guess, changes because it's just such an epic book. But like in the Ghibli film that I was watching yesterday, it was some woman whose parents abandoned her and she had a burnt face. At the last minute, she did something heroic. The characters do change. But it's an interesting way of looking at life and seeing what role you are currently playing. And as he says, you are always moving in and out of these roles. And he is saying that the more time that you spend in guide, the better your life will be. The more time you spend in hero mode, the more of a struggle your life will be. You'll still be going in an upward trajectory, but it's going to be a struggle. Uh, Interesting. The more time you spend in villain and victim, the worse your life will be. Interesting. And but that I suppose is- that, 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 that is also when he says consider which role you're playing, that's based on your perception of of. Of, of where you are in the narrative arc of your life. Whereas when we're talking about your story, I'll be a completely different character in your story. Go on. Well, okay. So if, if I have a villain in my story, mm. that person's story, I'm the villain to them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So there's no there's no overarching story for every for everyone. Which Each, is why everyone has their own personal story. That's true. Which is why he is saying that the more time that you spend in guide, the better your life will be, because villains and heroes are in constant conflict with one another. Victims are just everything bad happens to them and they're just powerless to do anything about it. A guide is someone who's saying, you know, you want my advice, hero? I would do it this way. They're not really going after the guide. And everybody's looking for a guide. Ah. The hero is looking for a guide. He's actually saying that the guide is the most powerful role. A hero is actually quite weak because a hero doesn't even know if they... A hero is just someone who's going on a journey and they've got an injustice in the world and they want to write that injustice. They want to make that not an injustice. And then people that are villains are people that have also had an injustice happen to them, but the justice that they are trying to level out on the planet is disproportionate. So a hero would say, we've got to bring this villain to justice. Whereas a villain would be somebody that would think, fuck you, I'm going to salt the earth. Yeah, that's really counterintuitive to be the guide. I, wouldn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. I was just assuming you would say be the hero. 
Now, that's interesting because there is self-help gurus that will be saying, be the hero of your own life. And yeah. it's definitely be- – but really what they are comparing it to is kind of a victim hero yeah. narrative. There's yeah. not those two other characters. And it's just like what you were saying before, and it's the thing that you hear over and over in all self-help, not ones that have studied story like this guy has because he originally wanted to write a bunch of fiction books. He figured out that he was crap at it. But in the process of it, he learned the mechanics of it. And just even that basic setup, I now understand – fiction works on a level that I didn't understand it before, right? But the thing that they're always telling you is don't be a victim, which is pretty much what we were just telling that guy there. The victim, obviously, is the weakest character. Mm. And people, this is something that I've noticed as well. I think that a reason that there's a lot of women that are always just like, he's mean, I hate him. The roles that I naturally fall into, I think, are villain and hero. And I'm lucky that I actually do have a couple of guides in my life, I think, that are saying, no, this is how you be a hero in this situation instead of being a villain, right? I think that I'm constantly in those two categories. Now, that is more attractive to men. I think men at their worst usually are villains, And I think women at their worst are usually victims. And women obviously empathize with victims more. Don't you think that there's that's something that Jordan Peterson is always talking about as well when he's saying that victims, women have that nurturing aspect to them where they see someone who's down in the dumps and they want to care for that person. Whereas guys usually dismiss that as you're a weakling, you're holding back the tribe, let's kill them so that the rest of the tribe can move forward. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the the argument against that is that's just a culturally ingrained idea. I think that this is more biological than that. I would tend to agree with you there. Yeah. Don't you think? Like it's, but also this is the other thing that I will that, that I think that we also touched on before. Women like victims more, and the comedians that I saw with them, every comedian that is predominantly when I was down in Melbourne, that women were predominantly flocking towards was somebody who is portraying themselves as a victim. was non-threatening. Non-threatening. And, uh, you know. Comedy's a funny one, though, because even men would uh, like someone who they perceive is lower than them in in social status, especially if they're paying to see this person and they're in such a, you know, quite literally a raised platform. Mm. Unless it's someone they truly admire. Uh, and 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 connect with on a on an almost a visceral level. I think if we're talking about just your run of the mill comedy night, someone like Bill Burr, if he was just performing to a general audience, I think there'd be a small portion of people that love him, and everyone else would think, oh, he was, he was a bit aggressive. Even a lot of men. Mm. Whereas, uh, but don't you think Bill Burr falls into those two categories as well? Villain, hero. Yeah, yeah, he'd either be a hero Maybe to people guide. or a villain. A lot of his is just Whoa. pointing out things in life and he's got the Bilber advice segment. He falls out of those roles, but most of the time he would probably be hero-villain. Look, you know what? He's got almost one of all of those four tropes because they, you could almost construe some of his stuff as victim. What? Because he's always whinging about women. Now, he, he does it in a clever way, but that could easily be construed as victim. Mm, mm. Yeah. Or villain. It, it'll be a fine line, I suppose, between vi- victim and villain. Because it's so. 
how do you how do you know if you're being everyone would feel like they're being the hero. No one would feel like they're being the vi- villain. Hmm. Unless but this is psychopath. a whole thing. It's just like, but he's talking about developing the awareness to understand: Are you being a villain at this point or a hero? So usually when I'm uh-huh. talking to the people that are around me, so I would say that my guides are like Christo and Connor and actually my booking manager, Sandy, as well. All of them, because I think that I naturally go to that point of, I want to exact justice on this person and they will always be saying, that's too much justice, you know? And that's the fine line between a hero and a villain. There's a point where you've gone beyond making your point. Good example of that, I yeah. suppose, is Saddam Hussein who after taking over the bath party didn't just kill his enemies in the bath party, which I think a lot of people would just be like, well, you know, that's just brutal politics in Middle East, right? But it was him getting people that were loyal to him to prove their loyalty, to pull the trigger and shoot members of the bath party in the back of the head while he was watching. And at that point you think that's too far, you know, like... (laughs) you've gone beyond making your point. But that line between hero and villain, again, it would change for many people. Many people would just say the fact that he killed people made him a villain. Mm. It just depends on your values. Mm. No, and yes, you can, but there is that point where I think it goes beyond, oh, okay, yeah, he, he shot people to get to where he is, what world leader doesn't, right? There's that, and then there's like a specific point where he goes a little bit too psychopathic but it, to, to reach his goals. So there's... Okay. They're like, yeah, you're right. Everybody will just be like, yeah, killing people, bad. <laughs> but there's a point where it's just like, no, you're, you're a bit too fucked. You know? Him sitting there and relishing watching people. Sure. That, you, you know what it was? It wasn't just this thing of, I'm getting to the top and I'm expelling these people that are you know, bad for the country or whatever. You can't justify it at that point. You're just like, here's a bunch of victims and I'm going to make those victims kill the people that I don't like. So at that point, he's kind of attacking victims. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's no longer, I'm protecting any villain. I'm not not protecting victims anymore. There's no no way that you can justify it in your head that you're doing that. Well, I would think in his head he would he would be justifying it. But to he the would, average person... Sure, yes. Yes, if we say to the average reasonable person there's a line, there's a hero victim, there's a, a hero villain line, and he crossed that line. Mm. Sure. Mm. And, we can go and yeah, right, like with everybody, that line is somewhere else, but yeah. I think that like there's a, there's a point where the vast majority, like 99% of people would just say villain. Mm. But I think that the villain point comes in when you are the one making victims as opposed to protecting victims, which is the hero. Mm. Yeah. You can't can't argue with that. But the thing is that, yeah, like when I was watching, I swear this was the divide with the comedians that I saw. The ones that were predominantly uh, seen by men, you could see them as being either hero or villain, as in they were making the jokes about other people that make the audience go, oh. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. But then you see most when women were seeing them, Maybe they were a hero some of the time, but I swear like 90% of their humor 
was just, I'm such a loser. In this situation, I felt really awkward. <laughs> it was a lot of that. Uh-huh. I also think that you've got a skewed interpretation because the, the, the audience at the Melbourne Comedy Festival is not a uh, accurate sample space of the general population. No, it's not. They're victims themselves, <laughs> let's be honest. But you know what is? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not. Again, it's different demographics, but it is a very, very different demographic to the official Melbourne Comedy Festival acts. Uh-huh. Us. Every single one of us has a very different sure. audience. Yes. And so it's not a crossover section of society, but all of us combined is more of a crossover section of society than the Melbourne Comedy Festival crowd. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong there. I'm just still processing the uh, the fact that we should aim to be the guide and not the hero because it's almost so embedded in my psyche to be the be the hero of your story and that's a way to actually move on from your victimhood. Yeah, it I'm is. I'm not a victim anymore. This is a hurdle and I'm a hero that's going to overcome this. Mm. But to be the guide is a very different mentality. You're, you're, I suppose, giving advice and was it, ushering other people, moving them from victimhood and villain into hero or hopefully another guide. Mm. Mm. And that's a different, a very different outlook on life. Because it's less, it's less self, self-centered, first of all. Less narrow. Definitely yeah. less narrow. Because even the best of heroes are still just fixated on accomplishing one thing. Whereas a guide, I suppose, has a much broader view of the world. And that's why they're able to impart that wisdom because they can see the connections that the hero can't. He was just talking about it mm. in the business world, which is that wow. if you are... Say, here's the example that he was giving. Cement. There was a cement company that was third. Mm -hmm. They went to him and said, how do we become number one? He said, tell me about your business. They said, we are more expensive than our competitors. And he said, why? Their response was, because we have more trucks. And the reason we have more trucks is because... We want our cement to be delivered on time, every time, because it costs the person money. When you're talking about a huge construction site, it could be hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars a day that the cement isn't laid. And so he said, you make your slogan, late cement costs you money. Our cement is on time every time. What is that? That's a guide. It's identifying you've got this problem. We've got this solution. We're going to get you there. As opposed to with a lot of people that try and make themselves the hero of their business, which would be something along the lines of, I don't know, the best in the business. Uh, We've been doing this for three generations. All this shit that no one gives a fuck about, right? Like people Mm -hmm. just want you to solve their problem. And that's what guides do. The hero says, I have this quest in life. I want to rescue this princess, whatever it may be. Sure. The guide is the one saying, you know, there is a back path. Now you will have to read a verse from the Bible to beat the giant spider. Like (laughs) that's very useful to the hero. So the wise- And as you're saying, most people are the hero of their own lives. Yeah. Some people are the victim of their lives. 
And that's how you just kind of help a lot more people is just by moving from hero to guide. Now, heroes are important in life. Yeah. And this is the thing that I'm constantly grappling with, which is that I've unintentionally become a hero in that I am the one that just runs into the dragon and stabs them. Uh-huh. In the sense that, you know, it's, I don't know, like some corrupt politician or some fucking middleman that pisses me off that day. There's no real way to do that as a guide. You do definitely need those people. You don't think there's a way to do that as a guide? Well, you can do self-help as a guide. You can't expose corruption as a guide? Or... Teach other people how to expose corruption because then it's not you exposing corruption. You've got a a thousand people exposing corruption. Yes, you can do that. You can definitely do that. Hmm. Yeah, you are right. You You can do it with anything that you're doing. Yeah, you're right. I would have thought the, uh, guide was simply someone who used to be a hero and has just learned the, the lessons of the past. Well, they're always in, an old man. Yeah, imparting them onto the the young hero. The the hero's always young. You watch it. Every fucking fantasy, it's always some wise as fuck wizard who's the guide. Yeah. It's always the same scenario and setup. That says something, doesn't it? And it the, is such a universal trope in in myths and, and stories across cultures. So there has to be some wisdom in it. Yeah. Some deep wisdom in it. Well, it's just kind of uh, the whole point of a story is to convey a moral or way of looking at the world. It was originally the way that people imparted advice because they understood that if you dress it up in aesthetics and make it kind of fantastical, more people are going to pay attention. If you're a master storyteller, you're able to captivate people. That's for for most of our history. People were just telling each other stories at the campfire, you know? Mm. That was how lessons were passed down. There's no formal education. So things have changed dramatically, yet the stories have transcended that change. But... I think that Neil Strauss is right in that self-help books that are sort of written in a narrative context are a lot more engaging than ones that aren't, that are just a list of here's what you do. You know, I think that The Truth was one of the most engaging books I've ever read. Yeah, but you know know they got divorced. But that was part of his relationship advice. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but well, still, you, what did, no, one on whole, Neil, did you? No, but his whole, his whole <laughs> thing was like, the truth is you just find the one and then you have to be happy with that one person. And no, the truth was you take it one day at a time and you just express the truth to each other at all times. Sure, yeah, yeah. And he was saying that uh, if if a relationship ends in divorce, that's okay. You should be mature enough to say, yeah, let's we'd be happier separate. There's... Something that's worse than somebody that is chronically sure, marrying and remarrying is somebody that just white knuckles a relationship. True, yeah. To, yeah don't that's an it. immature way of looking at it. Well, I mean, there's probably a balancing act to that. You can't just, as soon as the going gets tough, you know, there's a lot of statistics that show that people who have endured a, sometimes even a five-year rough patch in their marriage and they compare that to people who otherwise divorced and they controlled for other variables and they said that, 10, 15, 20 years after that rough patch, the people who stuck with the marriage 
showed uh, overall greater life satisfaction and happiness than the people who got divorced. Mm. So there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a balancing act to that. Just as soon as things get tough, you don't just throw in the towel, I suppose. No, that's true. There's grit and commitment that are virtues as well. But at some point, I'm assuming because the rough patch ended, they got honest with one another mm. somehow. Yeah, yeah. And then that can actually be a bonding thing. If you, Oh, we went through that. Wow. We're really meant for each other. Um, no, it's definitely true. Yeah. If there's, and also the other thing that I think bonds a lot as well is some shared grief. You almost have to have a narrative for that relationship itself. I think you have to have a narrative for everything. The, the, the relationship went through some some troughs, and then it's whether or not your personal narrative is still intertwined with the narrative of the relationship. That's ultimately what it comes down to, because you have your personal narrative, and then the relationship narrative is a separate story. Now, both of the two people see that narrative differently, but if the closer you are, the, the more you're on the same page, and that's why I think that's why traditional marriages work so well, because. There are these guidelines based on whether it's their religion or their culture that forces the two people to have a much uh, a, a closer aligned overarching relationship narrative with their personal narrative. Mm. Whereas uh, I suppose in modern secular Western culture, whatever my personal narrative for the re- next relationship I go into, I can almost certainly assume is dramatically different to whatever the... Re- narrative is for that other person because you don't have an ultra overarching societal narrative exactly on you. i don't I you don't. kind of are inventing that yourself yep. as you go which literally. is actually what you are doing literally now you are trying to invent narratives about relationships yourself it isn't imposed on you yeah yeah exactly that's what the last two years of your life has been. <laughs> a big part of that has been that, sure. Isn't that insane? Yep. And I remember of, going through the same thing as trucks, well. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe it is a very cultural thing because because now that we have, uh, we've we've sort of stripped away so many of these cultural guidelines and and obligations and responsibilities for the individual citizen. Um, we constantly have to be. Uh, creating our own narrative and that pressure becomes insurmountable whereas even if you uh, you know were born in australia 100 years ago everyone had some sort of a, there was just a closer narrative i'm assuming each person had which was well you know i'm a man i have to go to war to serve the country that's a big part of my hero journey and then i'll find a, a woman and i'll marry her and have kids that's a huge part of my hero journey mm. those those building blocks those mm. steps everyone mm. had that in common mm. Um, whereas now it's just <laughs> free for all, do whatever the fuck you want. Mm. That is, that is a narrative in itself. No wonder everyone's depressed. Yeah. They don't know the narrative to come up with. There's no expectations on you. Nope. In fact, they've made a virtue out of not having any expectations. Yeah. Just come a bit closer. Which as always, I swear, makes you a crap human being. And you know what, actually? Okay. We got clipped the other day for that. Oh, did we? On mm-hmm. Twitter? I'm so glad I'm off Twitter. Well, again, who cares? Because it's just people on Twitter going, oh, my God. What, what, is, what did we say? We are just talking about the virtues of religious societies yeah. that had a overall guiding narrative. And they were sitting there being like, can you believe that they believe that this is true? Discipline. They, they're constantly extolling the virtues of discipline. Isn't that fucked that some people think that that's... In their what? mind, that's evil. Is that literally what they said? 
There was a bunch of other things that they said as well, but the one that really focused my mind was discipline to them is villainous. That is a villainous trait to them. I'm so glad I'm off Twitter. Holy <laughs> shit. I love that. We got clipped. Yes. Makes, dude, for fuck's sake. Of course the AUWU thinks discipline is bad. What's the AU? Oh, unemployment workers union. Union. Corporation. Uh-huh. But yeah. Oh, so they were the ones that clipped us out. Oh, because they have beef they with you, don't us. they? Yeah. They're constantly clipping us. The other day, it was something else as well about ancient Rome. Same thing. Just, right. You know what? Yeah, they always get really pissed off at this. Speaking of heroes and villains and how it's flipped in their mind. Alagabalus is a hero to these people because he wanted a vagina. Doesn't matter about the rest of his reign. It was the fact that he was brave enough to ask the doctors for a vagina that makes him a great man. Despite the fact he was quantifiably one of the worst emperors in Roman history. Julius Caesar, on the other hand, they'll find anything they can to dump on him. The classic go-to was always, he committed genocide. But the thing is, they like a lot of people that do commit genocide. It's just, I swear, the reason they don't like him is because he is masculine. That's the thing uh-huh. that they're fucking objecting to there. Yeah, I'm tempted to see what people have to say, but I also know it'll just be... It'll it's it's raging. I don't even want to well, look like, at it. You know what is amazing about these people, though? Mm. It's not. It's just so unthreatening what they're saying, mm. as in it's just so removed from the truth. Yeah, okay. It's the ramblings of mad people. Right. So anyway, like yeah, that's that, yeah. You but, can you can fill me in with all this because I I'm just dude. Getting off Twitter was the best decision I made. It's amazing because you know what that is. You know what they, Twitter is. They just tag you in all their hate things, and I'm like, oh fuck, I'm trying to have lunch. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> but Twitter is where I think nothing but villains and victims congregate and. When I say villains and victims, I think they are people that are trapped in a mentality that is both villainous and filled with victimhood. Uh, They are constantly writing huge sop stories about how hard done by they are. They're always from private schools, always had great fucking upbringings and educations, Mm -hmm. but they'll find something for why they're a victim. Mm -hmm. That's classic Twitter. And they're villainous in the sense that if you don't agree with them at all, scourged absolutely fucking decimated over nothing as well. Like I mean, so disproportionate. That's all of social media, but but it's particularly pronounced on Twitter, isn't it? Don't you think though that on YouTube, being a victim is, obviously again, YouTube is a huge, huge platform, but the general gist of it is yeah. you can't be a victim there and be a YouTuber. If well, you're a victim know. in a YouTube, well, who's an example? Uh, look, I don't watch a lot of YouTube anymore. I don't. What do I watch, man? <laughs> Not much. Um, PewDiePie definitely is not a victim. Okay, if we're talking about the big mainstream YouTubers, yeah, sure, sure. There's not, I guess, victims in that sense. Uh, when it comes look, to us, when it comes to us in Australia, the big YouTubers in Australia, none of us are. Well, you could sometimes. It depends, um, because if you're if you're venting about anything, you could be easily construed as a victim based on someone else's narrative. But victim is always from this angle. 
I'm really hard done by for this reason. Everyone's so mean to me. It's always, everyone should feel sorry for me. Uh-huh. That's a victim mentality, isn't it? It's just like, I can't do these things for these reasons and everybody has to be nice to me because of these reasons. I really don't see that much on YouTube. I see people teetering in and out of being villains, guides, and heroes. Mostly, obviously, heroes on YouTube because you would have to have quite a fucking narcissistic personality to be like, I deserve to be the star of a channel. So it's obviously (laughs) going to be... Yes. And in and Everyone they would be justifying yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in their mind they were constantly justifying why they're the hero. But in Australia, I think there is much more of a culture of them being all three of those. They are sort of like Jake Paul and Logan Paul, they go in and out of being heroes and victims a lot, don't they? They're never guides. Victims, do you think they're victims? Sorry, not victims, villains. Yeah, in their mind, I'm sure they're heroes. Oh, of course. But uh the general the public Yeah, they're either a hero or a villain. They are the per- yeah you know what they're the perfect example of uh, probably most people would say villain mm. I'm guessing mm. definitely but not guide definitely not guide but who's a young guide who's someone who's in their twenties even and he's a guide well your content uh fuck I always forget their names the guys Fairbarn I think anybody the that's- guides because they, they, they it's a lot of it is just cult like commentary. Commentary on culture. Sure, I'd say Isaac Butterfield sure. is that a lot as well, actually. I, I think very rarely Isaac Butterfield treads into the territory of villain. Sometimes he does. Mm, but-, but for somebody who is as big as he is and as opinionated as he is, mm-hmm. when you actually watch his content as opposed to seeing him being clipped, most of the time he's kind of sitting there as a guide or a hero. I think that, that okay. most actual Australian YouTubers, they're moving in and out of hero and guide. Frenchie, I think, when you look at most of his content, hero. Uh, shooter? Hero, villain? Could almost be a guide. Yeah. In a weird well, way. What is like little sports bit tips? Sort of extolling, you know, <laughs> uh, drug knowledge. Yeah. Maybe. Same thing. You know, Spanion's a very interesting one because he's guide villain, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. To me, I've got to read this. I've got to read more of this guy's work because to me, when I read Why Him, Why Her, I I, I thought I can easily categorize people into these um, four groups. But hero, villain, guide, victim, it doesn't seem as uh, clear to me. Oh, and it's not supposed to be because, again, this is fictional works. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, as he's saying and as Tony Robbins is always saying, <sighs> the mind is continuously looking for patterns to make things easier and it's also looking for things that are aesthetically pleasing and story is aesthetically pleasing. And so people invent stories in their minds for why they can and can't do things. Mm. And so one of the building blocks of stories is those four. And a lot of that, again, is what you ascribe to being a victim, a villain, a hero. But I think you can kind of get an idea of where you currently are and what you're currently perceived as. Just by looking at it, just by looking at the feedback that you're getting, 
okay. on a daily basis. People close to you would be more inclined to call you a hero, right? Not necessarily. There are people in my life that I think of as guides. And there are people uh-huh. that I think of as victims. So, again, I think that at the best of my times, I'm a hero. At the worst of my times, I'm a villain. I think that at the best of my girlfriend's time, she's a hero. And I think at the worst of her time, she's a victim. And that's usually what women revert to when they are in the worst of times for themselves. They revert to being a victim. And I think that guys, at the worst of their times, revert to being a villain. But guys tend to be uh-huh. meaner. You know, obviously well, this bit, changes, but yes. You know, for some reason, my mind just went straight to the incel killers. Like, that's the that's the perfect, that's your perfect Pretty villain. damn villainous. But it's a combination of victim and villain. Well, it's a victim complex but that leads to villain. they're people. They're yeah, really yeah, yeah. bad people. It's a victim complex that leads to the villainous behavior. Yes. And they are... That, and as we're saying, like that's the worst combination of person in life and everybody detests those people. Mm. Um, and again, I think that even when it comes to women and their nurturing capacity to like victims, mm. there comes a point where you get satiated with it, where you think, look, I've given you everything I can to help you in your life. You're still a victim. And like what we're saying to this guy, it is a mentality. It's this thing of, no, 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 no. I, I deserve more because uh, I, I've been hard done by in life. Mm. So you need to keep giving me things. You're a drain. The thing that is not a drain on people's life is a guide. People are constant in constant search of guides in their life. Sure. They're looking for somebody to help them out with their problems. Heroes, they kind of want to look at from afar, which I suppose is people like your Jake Pauls and your Logan Pauls. They want to see what adventures they get up to that day. But they're on their own personal quest. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's very very hard to then, because wouldn't you say guiding other people is almost like a personal quest? I want to help others. Hmm. That's true. But I suppose just the way that you are looking at it again is a lot of this is telling yourself something and and putting yourself in a role, how that is going to affect other people. So if you are saying my role, I'm a hero because I'm giving other people advice in life, Mm. it's a very different place of, oh, you need advice? I can give you advice in that area. Sure. Depends where you're coming at it from. This is, yeah. I think um, it's like, you know that old saying that really your teacher, when you're ready, the teacher comes? Yeah. So be Mr. Miyagi, don't be the karate kid. That's what they're saying, dude. Like, think about it. What was the sure. karate kid? It was pretty much... Fall back, fall back, fall back, fall back the entire movie, getting picked on, picked on, picked on. At the last second, he kicks the bully in the head and then it finishes with, you're the best. (laughs) (laughs) But really, a lot of the time when you're looking at the hero, what are you thinking in the movie? I know I was, when I was watching it, I was like, fuck, they're not actually that likable. 
But the guide always is, don't you think? When you think of mm. everybody likes Gandalf, when you think of Frodo, you think, what a little shit. He's the centre of the f- film for sure, but a lot of the time you're just being like, man, just fucking stop talking about what a burden it is carrying the ring. It's not even that heavy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. But you're more invested in that story. It's more of an emotional high when they achieve what they want. Whereas the, yeah, you in, saw all the hardships a, that they went through. Yeah, if you're talking about sort of a real life context, I, I can see where it could be more virtuous to be the Gandalf character. Oh, it's not even more virtuous. It's just more advantageous. But it's also, it's definitely more, it's definitely more virtuous. Oh, no, look, that's hard because, again, heroes are the ones actually doing the quest. Yeah, right, right. But I suppose, again, the guide can help many heroes. So that is more virtuous. Mm. But, yeah, again, if you're in small business, I think that that's the way that you should be looking at your business. How can I be a guide in it? People are coming okay. to you. If you're running a business, they're coming to you to solve a problem. That's what they want. Mm. And I think that actually, really, that's what's happening with comedians. They're coming to us. And this is why I think that all of the Melbourne Comedy Festival comedians are never going to attract the audiences that we attract in this day and age, before when they had complete access to the press, they could. But it is because they are constantly talking about why they are a victim. That might be attractive to a certain member of society, but really, the comedians that do really well, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, Louis C.K.'s, your Bill Burr's, it is kind of guidey what they're doing. They're kind of just saying, this is something that's happening in society at the moment. And they're putting it in words that most people will sit there and think, yeah, I've thought about that before, but I haven't thought it through as much as you have to put it in those words. Mm. So they are being a guide. Yeah, you're not wrong. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of food for thought there. <laughs> never yes. thought of aspiring to be the guide and not the hero. It just seems so... It's so inbuilt into our culture. Be the hero. Mm. I think that it's inbuilt into our culture specifically. Different cultures, there'd be different things. Look, you know what? 4chan, villains. Well, yeah. They, They... that's what they actually aspire to. They actually aspire to be villains. Yeah. To be yeah. As, as fucked and, like, nasty as possible for no reason. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Think about being the guide. Think I about like being that. the guide. All right, well, I think we'll wrap that one up there. Mm. Um, thank you for listening, guys. Hopefully we guided you through that. <laughs> See you. See ya.